And you'll be aware that that was at the beginning of what we call Holy Week, leading up to the last Thursday night um, Passover meal before his crucifixion on the Friday. All good, so you're aware of that. And the, the Gospel of John is silent on all the incidents and discourses that occurred in that period. But in that week, the synoptists, well, Matthew devotes six Gospels to it, and Luke devotes four, four chapters to it. Uh, I'm just going to list to you the things that were covered conversations, events there's a lot happened, a lot of these and John doesn't mention them all we're going to go to chapter 12 and what happened at the end of the week in a second but during that week here's what was going on, we had and I've listed them here um, the second cleansing of the temple incidentally there was no scourge mentioned, the synoptists they only mentioned this one um, just before the crucifixion there's no scourge mentioned, and whereas Jesus at the beginning in John's Gospel chapter 2 had talked about a house of merchandise, you make, make not my father's house a house of merchandise, and he took a scourge in his hand, and we could suggest that that was a symbol of authority. He had the authority, he issued the judgment, take these out, do not make it a house of merchandise. At the end, there is no scourge. I guess the authority and judgment had already been displayed and rejected. No scourge necessary. And also, he doesn't say, don't make this house, my house, uh, a house of merchandise. He says, you have made my father's house a den of thieves. The three synoptists agree there. So it's pretty clear that there's, that there's a separate instance of the cleansing of the temple. So that happened in this time period, upon which John is silent. Well, that's all right. The synoptists, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, had already written that. That was 30 years old. It was already in writing. John had a particular plan to demonstrate the development of faith in the few, and the development and the extraordinary fact of unbelief in the Lord's people, the Jews, their rejection of him. Um, so let me just, just so we don't think, well, he came in and then he talked to the Greeks. No, here's what happened. He entered Jerusalem. There was the second cleanse of the temple. This is all just in those few days. There was the cursing of the fig tree. And the next day, the fig tree being withered. And then a number of debates and teaching in the temple. Uh, by what authority do you, are you saying these things? Said the Pharisees and the scribes. And he answered them, well, you tell me about John's baptism. Was that from God? And I'll tell you who's... Um, uh, you remember that one, don't you? And so they came to challenge him. The Pharisees and the Sadducees and the scribes. And they sent people in there to bowl him googlies, trying to catch him up, trying to make him look stupid, trying to prove that he wasn't divine, whatever their agenda was. And ultimately, he was silenced. Well, let me, let me read through it. They were, they were silenced. Um, the wicked husbandman of the vineyard. Uh, and we get that extraordinary phrase that... That story was in that period of time too. Here is the heir. Let us kill him, and then the inheritance will be ours. And Jesus accuses the Jews of doing exactly that. Most extraordinary, knowingly trying to usurp God's authority. Quite extraordinary, his perception. I didn't say it. 
that was the Lord Jesus alright also the marriage feast Uh, come to the marriage feast and they beat and they kill the messengers and go out into the highways and byways the hedges and bring in anyone who will come the uh, tribute to Caesar is it correct to pay tax to Caesar and Jesus answered them They, they were trying to tempt him do you mind if I just read these? I keep getting interrupting. You, you know what I'm talking about, don't you? The resurrection. Is there a resurrection? Well, there, there was a bloke and he had how many wives? No. Hang on, a wife. And she had how many husbands? And they all died and she married again. In the resurrection, whose wife will she be? The Sadducees trying to push their line. They didn't believe in any resurrection. So they're kind of trying to catch Jesus up and make him say what was impossible. So he, they wanted him to prove. Therefore, you see, she can't be all five men's wives. So she must, there can be no resurrection. That was their thing. And he put them all to shame. You remember this. Uh, he said, didn't you know, in the resurrection there is no giving and taking of wives. We won't be married. We won't have bodies like this. Um, there was that episode. The Pharisees here. The, oh, yeah. Now look, can we just look in Matthew 22? Because this... They, they actually end up being shut up. Matthew 22. Each of them. I want to set the scene, just so we know what's going on uh, when we dive into our particular bit. Uh, Verse 34, we have, When the Pharisees heard that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, shut them up with this business about the woman who died, there'll be no resurrection, there'll be no giving and taking of marriage, Jesus said. When the Pharisees heard, verse 34, that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, they got together in a group. One of them, a lawyer, put him on the spot with this question. Uh, Teacher, which is the most important commandment? You must love the Lord your God, replied Jesus, with all your heart, with all your life, with all your mind. This is the first commandment, and it's the one that really matters. The second, similar, you must love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law hangs on these two commandments, and that goes for the prophets too. While the Pharisees were gathered there, Jesus asked them, what's your view of the Messiah? Whose son is he? And all this was going on in the temple during that week. And so during, there was a busy time, about 24 incidents um, during that week. And Jesus was in the temple daily, we're told, and at night he resorted to the Mount of Olives. So perhaps we, we won't go through all the detail, but when they've been put, when they've been silenced finally, and they try to trip him up, the Pharisees, their group, the Sadducees, the scribes, they'd all tried to trip him up, they'd all been silenced, and the people marveled at his wisdom, and then we have another set of stuff, the woes, uh, the warning against the scribes and the Pharisees, the woes against the scribes and the Pharisees, the lament over Jerusalem, oh Jerusalem, Jerusalem, as he looked on it from the Mount of Olives, that stowed us the prophet, how oft would I have gathered thee, I just wanted you to come into me as a hen gathers her chickens, but 
you would not. That's the thing. Their will was set against God. That's the natural man. Um, Darkness. We'll go right back to chapter 3. Light came into the world and men loved darkness. That's the problem. The problem is not that we're in darkness. The problem is that when light comes, we love darkness. Don't get into that. You, brother and sister, that's not for us. We mustn't allow our hearts to be hardened against the light. God doesn't blame us for being in darkness. We were born into it. We were born in sin. Our guilt comes is if we adhere to darkness and we will not be gathered into the light. How oft would I have gathered thee? Would not. Uh, so all this was going on in that week. And we read that Jesus resorted daily to the temple. He went there early. No, he went there. And the people went early to the temple to hear him. So it was as if the king had arrived and was holding court in his palace. My father's house. He was holding court and they came and he talked. And all these things were said. None of which John records, by the way. I just want to fill in the picture. Because we're going to go to the end of that week and take up some of the things that the Lord Jesus said then. Um, But I just wanted to give that as a context. And also the the geography, because... You see, it says that he, we read in John 18.1 that he was wont to go to this garden on the Mount of Olives, Gethsemane. Now you remember that Judas knew where to find him. He had promised to betray him. They paid him 30 pieces of silver. I'll get him for you and get him away from the people. We can't take him there. Where he's mingling with the crowd and the temple. We can't do that. Um, it'll cause a riot. Judas, get him for us. And he knew where to take him. Why? Because he'd been resorting there all through the week. He was wont, we read, to resort to this place in the Mount of Olives. He was only three or four hundred yards away. So you can just imagine the busyness of being, of standing in the temple courtyard, teaching, um, being attacked, and then teaching and making these pronouncements. By the way, the people went early in the morning. How many hours of daylight were there? Well, if you Google it, you can look at the, day, the hours of daylight in Israel. In spring, about, about now, um, just before um, the Passover, about April the 10th, uh, there are 13 hours of daylight from 6 in the morning till 7 in the evening, and another 25 minutes either end for twilight. Okay, so there's 13, that's a long day, but people went early in the morning to hear him. Do you reckon that he needed to withdraw from time to time? We've already seen him sitting down weary on the well, quirens, me, sedisti, lassus, seeking me. He sat down weary. So, so what, what do you think he did? Well, it sounds as if, just from the feel of the thing, that he wandered out down the little valley, two or three hundred yards away, up into Gethsemane on the Mount of Olives. To, well, it would have been shady now, I guess. There were trees, um, just to be quiet and still before he went back for another dose in the temple. So we read at this stage that he resorted there. Judas knew where to find him. So when the betrayal came, I know where I can take you. You come to this place uh, with your soldiers to arrest him. Okay. 
just to give us a feel for the natural environment and how things played out. So that's the situation. The king entering triumphantly and holding court for a week. Silencing his accusers, silencing those who rejected him. And then, interestingly, we come... And that's where we're we're up to. So, can we go to chapter 12 now of John's Gospel? That's really just setting the scene. And we're going to verse 20. And it seems that this is really near the end of that week. We'll see why why in a second. Uh, He he went away and he hid himself from them. Verse 20. Some Greeks had come up with all the others to worship at the festival. Remember, this was the Passover, the big one, that they had to get to. Now, there were two classes of proselytes. This class, who were allowed into the court of the Gentiles. Beyond the court of the Gentiles, there was the court of the women, where Jewish women could go and pray. There were, um, the Gentile court was for those who were not Jews, but who had perceived and accepted the truth of the revelation of the Creator God. Remember, in contrast to all the pagan nonsense that they've been brought up around, all the idolatry? And they say, yes, we want to pray to this God. But they hadn't received the sign of the covenant in their flesh. They, they had not um, been circumcised. There were other proselytes who, as adults, had been circumcised, and they were allowed in to worship with the men, with the Jews. But the uncircumcised Gentiles were limited to the court. That was the only place in the temple they could pray. That was the only place that they were welcome to. So we had this sort of strange... Uh, two-tieredness. They wanted to worship the eternal God but the Jews, of course, couldn't let them in to the inner circle and they would tend to look down their nose at these people and give a bit of a hard time. The Gentile proselytes who wouldn't be circumcised. So that's the picture. And Jesus, apparently, was teaching usually in the court of the women so that the Jewish men would pass through that and be able to hear him they were allowed there and the Jewish women could also be there and so in verse 20 we get this there's some Greeks who come up with all the others to worship at the festival by the way they would have seen we're assuming they would have been around for the triumphal entry what? they're saying this is the Messiah these Jews have been talking about the Messiah and now they're now they're hailing him as their king and yet this crowd are trying to kill him and yet they're not accepting him they're trying to trip them up what's going on here? and then he, they come in and the only place that they were allowed to pray had become a den of thieves Jesus' words 
and Jesus cast them out so they would have seen that hang on we want to pray it's just like another marketplace they're trying to cheat and steal from each other um, sort of extortative rates of exchange because they had to give tax with the temple money extortative tra- uh, rates of exchange it was a den of thieves and this is the bit that they give us to pray in and this Jesus this one who came in the triumphant king hailed by all the people he's turfed them all out you think they might have taken notice, don't you? Well, they did, because they said this. So these Greeks came up and said, some Greeks had come up, verse 20, with all the others to worship at the festival. They went to Philip. Now the two players in this story, um, apart from the Lord, are Philip and Andrew. Um, And we are told that those are the only two Greek names among the disciples. Up in Galilee, there are a number of purely Greek cities. Greek versus Jewish. Purely Greek cities. Philip, Andrew, Greek names. Jesus had made it very clear that I am not sent. And he acted like this absolutely consistently all through his ministry. I am not sent, but to the the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Do you remember that? When, um, when the, the Canaanite woman, the Gentile woman, came to him, he said, Look, can't help you. I'm not sent back to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. You're not on my list. And she pressed. And she, it's not good, he said, to, to take the food from the children and give it to the dogs. And she said, But even the dogs can eat the crumbs that fall from the children's table. Do you remember that? And and the Lord said, your faith is great. uh, And she was seeking healing for her son. And he gave it to her. Um, (laughs) Have you got dogs? I used to, we we had dogs for 25 years. We haven't got them And I just used to love to see our dogs come in and clean up after the children. It was just such a parable. It was just, it was a perfect representation of what the woman said. Even the dogs can eat the food that falls from the children's table. And there it was, 2,000 years later, the dog was still eating the food falling from the children. I just thought that was lovely. They're very scriptural dogs, mine. Mm. Um, Actually, one of them chewed one of my Bibles. So, anyway, moving on. Um, So, look, they weren't going to get much out of him, they thought. So they approached him through two Greek speakers. They're in with him. These, Philip, Greek name, Andrew, Greek name. You have a word, will you? So... We would like to see Jesus. Now, they could see him any time. He was walking around through the court. They wanted to speak to him. They wanted an audience. Um, Look, we don't know what they wanted to say. Uh, Do you think they could have been wanting to invite him? Look, this crowd don't want you. Come over to our place and be our leader. Be a sage for us. Um, We'll have you. They're mad. We've heard, we've heard about the things you've done, raising the dead, the miracles you've done, the, the, the answers you've given to these questions. Come and minister among us. I don't know. I'm guessing. We never hear. We don't hear any more about the Greeks. 
what we do hear about is the train of thought it triggered in the Lord Jesus. Here they were, knocking at the door of the kingdom of God. I am not sent but to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But it was over. The lost sheep of the house of Israel essentially had... It was filled up. Those who were hearing were hearing. There was faith incipient in some. But the house of Israel, as an entity, the theocracy, had rejected him. It was the end. He knew that in a few days he would be crucified. Do you see the coincidence of events? It was all over for Israel. Uh, He, before this, had already prophesied Jerusalem's destruction. AD 70, it came to pass exactly as he said, some extraordinary details the Lord mentioned, and it came to pass just exactly as he said. And now, and now, the Greeks. But he wasn't sent to them. Ever? No. Yet. He wasn't sent to them yet. Because we read in Isaiah that um, he would be a light to lighten the Gentiles. And the only way that he could become the leader, the king of the Gentiles, he was king of the Jews. The only way he could become king of the Gentiles and enter into his agency among the Gentiles, that's you and me, a light to lighten the Gentiles, was for him to uh, be freed from his commitment to being Messiah of the Jews. The next step, it reminded him, was death. It was only through the cross that he would relinquish his earthly ministry and enter into the Father's presence, into his glorified, glorify thou me with the glory that I had with thee before the world began. And he was going back to the Father and astonishingly, just see if you can hold these things in your mind, he was taking our humanity back into the Godhead as well. So he was going back to the Father, being glorified of the glory that he had from before the foundation of the world, from when the world began, and he was going back as a man. And at that, in that condition, in that way, and only in that way, he was going to be able to minister to the Gentiles and be the king of all the world, not just the king of the Jews, but the king of all the world, but only after he had put off his natural existence. He'd been to the cross. And so the suggestion is that this knocking on the door by the Greeks led Jesus to think, yeah, I'm coming. We don't, we don't know whether he walked over to them and said, look guys, I understand. We don't, we're not told about that part of the conversation. We are told about the effect it had on the Lord Jesus. And we're going to read that now. So Philip went, verse 22, and told Andrew. Andrew and Philip went together to tell Jesus. Now look, guys, he's, he's not into this Gentile thing, but we, these guys have asked us to speak, but we're going to... Mm. Nothing of that is mentioned, except this, verse 23. The time has come, said Jesus in reply. Um... This is the moment for the Son of Man to be glorified. I want to just find... hmm, 
Can we go to chapter 2 of our gospel? You can keep your finger in there. We'll just very quickly look at chapter 2.19. And we're just going to survey Jesus' consciousness of his end among the Jews. Right from the beginning, he knew where he was headed. 2.19. Destroy this temple, replied Jesus, and I'll raise it up in three days. He knew where he was headed. Moving on to 3.14, talking to Nicodemus. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the desert in the same way, dead, the Son of Man must be lifted up so that everyone who believes in him, everyone, not just the Jews, everyone who believes in him may share in the life of God's new age. Chapter 10. Uh, the time has come. Do you understand? He'd been conscious of, that it was imminent. And now the hour had arrived. It was all over. Um, chapter, uh, chapter 10, verse 15. I am the good shepherd, I know my own sheep, and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me, And I know the Father, I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep too, (laughs) which don't belong to this sheepfold. I must bring them too, these Gentiles knocking on the door. And they will hear my voice. If we go back to our passage, chapter 12, verse 23, it's now. The time has come, said Jesus in reply, this is the moment for the Son of Man to be glorified. I'm telling you the solemn truth. Uh, so he was conscious that he was going to be glorified. And we're going to hear also of by what means, by what path, the pain, the agony that awaited him. That he... Um, Viewed in Gethsemane a few days later, and swept, sweat as it were, great drops of blood, um, in the agony of contemplating separation from the Father. He knew what it was going to mean. The hour has come, and we read later on that he was troubled. He shuddered. He was rocked to his core. Uh, verse twenty-four. I'm telling you the solemn truth. Unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies it remains all by itself if it dies though it will produce lots of fruit and that's an obvious statement you, he uses it as a parable of human life and, and we're not going to spend a lot more time or a lot more verses but I do want us to consider the import of these things because they're Fundamental and immensely important. Obviously, for you and me, the corn of wheat, when it goes into the ground, its outer casing has got to become wet and rot and be split. And that seed is dead. In the, in the sense that it no longer exists. It loses all its seediness. All its being... Whatever it was, is gone. You can never get it back. 
But only by that happening does the new plant uh, take root and grow and produce a hundredfold. The parable. This principle the Lord Jesus is applying to himself. He'd applied it repeatedly to his disciples throughout his ministry. And I'm going to trouble you with just doing a survey of some of those occasions when he said, you're going to die. You've got to lose your life. Um, But just for now, verse 24, it remains by itself. If it dies though, it will produce lots of fruit. There's the parable. Verse 25, here it is direct. If you love your life, your suke, soul, that's your natural life, your physical breath, and all the attributes of your personality, or your soul. That's suke. If you love it, I'm going to protect it. I'm going, to make, I'm going to give it what it wants. I'm going to let it have its own way, which incidentally is the spirit of the age. It always has been. The spirit of the age, you've got to do what you want. Self actualization, self aggrandizement, self realization. You've got to get you know, We had it from one of our grandchildren. It was very sweet. Um, you're not. What do they say? They, they've been taught it at school. Uh, I won't mention her name. Um, what, did she, what did she say? Uh, you're not the boss of my emotions. I am. This was to their grandmother. Um, so, but you know, you've got to be in charge. You've got to be in charge of your soul. You've got to look out for your soul. You've got to make sure that things go just right for your soul. Be careful. It's the spirit of the age, and it is anti-human on the most basic level. And I, I'm, I'm thrilled to be able to share this with you. Um, here we go. Uh, because it's so, it's so basic and yet our eyes are so holden but we have the opportunity to see clearly uh, so if you love your life your suke, your soul you'll lose it if you hate your life in this world in other words, don't give it what it wants don't give in to its demands don't run your life so that it is protected and preserved at all costs and people, and people make a whole life. It's their life's mission is to protect and ring fence their soul so it's never touched. It's going to be all right. Look, even at the most basic level in interpersonal relationship between men and women, men and men, women and women friendships, uh, these things are so. Is it not? If you don't let yourself be touched. Uh, you won't have any relationship. If you love your life, you'll lose it. If you hate your life in this world, if you hate your life in this world, let it be trampled on. Let your preferences um, be denied. Deny yourself, Jesus said earlier on. We'll look at some of those. You will keep it unto life eternal. Alright. So Jesus applies to himself that fundamental principle of humanity that he has applied so often to his disciples can we do a quick survey of those places can it be quick, yes Uh, Matthew 10 
I've got four references, okay? Just so you know, it's not interminable. Matthew 10. That's the encouragement, you see. Um, 39. If you love your father or mother more than me, that's 37. Anyone who doesn't pick up their cross and follow me, their cross, by the way, um, we've got to carry our cross. Jesus carried his cross. If you don't pick up your cross and follow after me, he doesn't deserve me. If you find your life, you'll lose it. If you lose your life because of me, you'll find it. 16.25 I'm going to make establish the point and then hopefully seek to explain it. 16.25 same gospel yes if somebody wants to save their life they must lose it and if anyone loses their life for my sake they'll find it what is this? This is double speak. No, this is what Jesus said to them repeatedly. It's a fundamental law of humanity that is um, largely unconsidered and largely fled from by those who should be fleeing to it. Luke 9. I'm just citing these because they're different, each one is a different situation. Um, so we've got the same thing being said in different situations a number of times 9.24 is being followed by the great multitude if you want to save your life you'll lose it but if you lose your life because of me you'll save it what good will it do you if you win the entire world Soul and me, we're gonna get, we're gonna, we're gonna kill it, we're gonna win, we're gonna triumph. We'll do this, we'll get this, we'll achieve that. And Jesus said, Oh, brother, what good will it do you if you win the entire world but lose or forfeit your own self? 1733, Luke. Now, this. He's talking to his disciples what they've got to do. 1733. Remember Lot's wife? If you try to save your life, you'll lose it. But anyone who loses it will keep it, given that context. Okay. Is there something wrong? So, here's the first point of astonishment. Jesus is applying to himself the principle, that apparently fundamental law of humanity that he applied to his disciples. Even a pure soul, the pure soul, um, and even legitimate tastes and preferences, they've got to go. Um, how do we say this? There's nothing wrong with our soul and our physical life. Jesus had a, a soul and a physical life. Nothing wrong with it. But it is not our destiny. It is the starting point of human existence. 
Now the Greeks had got it all back to France. They, it was the Greeks who were knocking on the door. And we today, it's all about, um, how can we make the most of my soul? How can we fulfill our potential? Oh, you've got bags of potential. Oh, mate, the potential that you and I have got is to die. That's the real potential. Was it matter what your potential gains you? Oh, I became the greatest this, I became the most wonderful that, I became the, I possessed all this, that and the other. What did it profit your soul if you gain the whole world and lose your soul? There's nothing wrong with our natural life, but it's not our destiny. There was nothing wrong with Jesus' natural life. It was perfect. It was wonderful. But to preserve it was not its destiny. He took on himself the likeness of sinful flesh. And in the context of the likeness of sinful flesh, to be a human being, to preserve your life, isn't what it's for. Oh, what do you mean? What is it for? Oh, it's easy. You can say it a number of ways. It's for this. It's to give to the one you love. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart. And with all thy soul, with all thy strength. Um, you could call it worship. Uh, the day, the hour cometh, and now is, chapter 4, when true worshippers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. The Father seeketh such to worship him. May God grant that he finds among us such worshippers today. Which says exactly this. I don't care what it means, Father. Be it unto me according to your word. Your will is what matters. Not my will, not my preference. Um, it's how Jesus had lived the detail of his life, and now he came to the culmination, where all those details were expressed in that final act of submission. He lived the life of submission, of worship. And for him, it became expressed in that final act of submission when he, was, he went to the cross and was separated from the Father in that pain, in that agony. The point is that our natural life is given us so that we should use it to buy eternal life. Can we say it that way? And make, make yourselves friends of the man of unrighteousness? Can we say it like that? I don't know. It's the only, it's the only currency we have. Our life. That we should say, Father, uh, you're more important. Your ways are higher than mine. I love you. I worship you. I give you my life. Now the extraordinary thing is, that worship, love, um, so that by it, now listen to this, this is, this is the key, it's not just something that happens in our heart. We're going to come on, and Jesus is, and we've had it a number of times, in the, it's not just something that happens in our will. Our will is involved. Jesus has said it a number of times, but that depending on the complicity of our will, whether we will allow him to rule over us, God will act. And into our, and as we lay aside our naturalness in his favor, as we sacrifice it to him and say, Lord, have it. I don't want my life anymore. You rule over me. You're worthy. You're greater than I. God acts. And that's the key. That through the complicity of our will, the Father acts. Actually, it's the Son. Do you remember how the Father introduced Jesus to John the Baptist? He characterized his work as, He shall 
the one whom, on whom you see the dove descending, the Holy Ghost descending and remaining there, he it is who what? Forgives sin? Go on, I've said it too often. What is it? How did he say it? Please tell me. He's Yes, John came before him and the father said to the one who came before him the one whom you see the dove descending and remaining he he, he didn't say that although he, he said that later yeah, but he said to John in advance of that episode when he said the voice from heaven we're going to have another voice from heaven in a minute in advance of that baptism and the voice from heaven the father had pointed out to John, look, this bloke, the one that, you see this happening, that's the one. He will baptize you with the Holy Ghost. That's it. That by complicity of our will, when we say, yes, Father, I give up, I yield my soul to you. It was never meant for me. It was always meant to be bestowed upon you. It was always meant to be gifted to you. It was always only given to me so that I could be a worshipper of you. And in response to that, Jesus takes hold of us and he does his job on us. There's only one being in the universe, one being, who is enabled, authorized, and granted the ministry of the dipping human souls into God the Spirit. Can we de-religify the notion? It's not a religious concept. It's an act of God that as we comply with Him, as we yield to Him, and as we are washed by Him, He acts on us. And the scourge of the Western Church, as far as I can see in our era, is that we want, we seem to want, a salvation that's devoid of the act of God. Is it just make the decision, just ask forgiveness. Now Jesus is in your heart. Is he? Show me your life. No, that's not the gospel. It's yes, receive forgiveness. And yes, make sure that you have yielded your life into his hands and he's taken hold of you. You're the real you. Your spirit, your soul, and immersed you in the Godhead. That is the ministry of the Lord Jesus. And by that mechanism, our natural life is transformed and takes on a spiritual life that's eternal. God save us. Oh Lord, spare us from having these as ideas without the practical reality. And so we learn two things. One, that the human soul is not destined for self-improvement. It's not destined to become beautiful. The human soul is given to us so that it should die and be yielded up to he who is worthy he, he whom can be trusted the one who gave us it anyway and if we miss that we miss the whole point of being human if you wanted to write a, 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 a self help book about what is it to be human some must say something about what is it to be human you could turn to scripture what does what God require of man? It says, Malachi, that we should love mercy, act justly, and walk humbly with our God. Jesus, 
love the Lord your God with all your heart. Um, or another place, he wants you to worship him. That's what your soul was given you for. And until we get ourselves out of the frame, out of the center of the universe, we've missed the whole point of humanity. Oh God, give me this, I want this job, I want this sort of relationship, I want this sort of family, I want this, this husband, this wife, this house, this job, this blah, 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 whatever else you want. I want this and please do this for me. Well, none of that's prayer, mate. That's just, that's just an expression of uh, self-will. Oh Lord, you know all these things in me. Please make me uh, make me want your things. He not want. He doesn't want to withhold anything from us. That's not the point. The point is he he wants us to fulfil our humanity, um, to fall into the ground and die and say, Lord, you decide. Uh, I actually for you. I, I I began to understand. And these things are not apprehended cognitively. Primarily, I would suggest to you. I apprehended these things non-cognitively before I could think about them. I didn't know what was going on. But God was dealing with my soul when I was 17. Um, I didn't I had never a clue what was going on. I, didn't understand. I used to go to meetings a bit like this, and I didn't know a word what they were talking about. I didn't understand a word of what they were talking about. But the Lord was drawing me, and it was after God had worked in me that I began to understand, or started to understand a little bit of what was going on. Oh, brother and sister, we run the risk of falling into the trap of sitting on our chairs <laughs> and uh, thinking about these things and not being involved. Whereas the Lord wants us to know the reality of sitting on our chairs, perhaps falling off them, and being involved, and saying, Lord, I, I yield my flickering torch to thee. O oh, love that will not let me go, I rest my weary soul in thee. I give thee back the life I owe. It's my life for me to do what I want, to make myself... No, no, you missed the point. That's not what it is to be human. You were given your life to give it back to the Father. And as we are complicit with His will, He is enabled to act. I, I beg you not to be satisfied with a gospel that doesn't involve the extreme action of God on your soul. This is individual. It's not, oh, well, everybody in the room received the Holy Ghost. Listen, this is a private transaction between your Creator and you. <laughs> it happens one at a time. It might happen to one at a time in a group, you understand, but it's between you and Him. And only Jesus can take hold of you in His arms, in His hands, and immerse you in God the Spirit. So that that which is divine um, enters you, and you rise up to a life that's spiritual and eternal. And you walk around glowing. Now, I don't mean actually uh, you walk around different you walk around not what you were before Amen. not because you're trying to be good but because God's done something to you um, and you're no longer yours and Paul says that is the life that I now live in the flesh I live by the faith of the Son of God uh, what's the first part of that? I'm crucified with Christ that's the same thing nevertheless I live. 
Now look, I just want, I'll stop now. I can't see my watch. Um, Here's the extraordinary thing. Jesus applied this principle to him. Now you and I are possessed of a nature that needs to die. It needs to be exterminated. It is incorrigibly, it is irrectifiably enmity with God. It can't be remediated. That's the human nature, the old man. You can't come along to the old man and say, look, old man, you're a horrible old man. Sorry, I'll talk to this bloke over here. Look, old man, you're horrible. (laughs) You're a horrible old man. You've got to smarten up your act. Now, are you willing to do it? And he might say to you, yes, but the fact is he can't do it. He's just the old man. He's a spiritual power that is enmity with God. Paul says that in Romans chapter 8. That the mind of the flesh is naughty. No, he didn't say that. The mind of the flesh is undesirable. He didn't say that. The mind of the flesh is enmity with God. I'll kill you, God. And they did. And it's in us, brother, sister, until God saves us. What is the mechanism? How can that spirit be got out of us? By what we're talking about here. Do you understand that it's not, this isn't hypothetical? It's not some religious notion. This is the essence of being human. The essence of the power of God has got to get hold of us. It didn't, Jesus didn't have any such spirit to be got rid of. But the principle of death nevertheless applied to him and his humanity that his good life, his good soul his pure life also had to enter into death to be resurrected to a new life eternal but for you and me not only is it our duty and our worship to give ourselves to him it's our salvation it is by the mechanism of that baptism that the old man who won't be reformed we can't speak to him politely and say well could it be a bit better this week please he can't, he won't he he rules us we're slaves, read Romans chapter 6, 7, 8 we're slaves to this principle of sin we're enslaved to it, we can't get out but the means of escape is granted us and Jesus, that's all, actually, it's more or less what he talks about. And in the coming chapters, the concept recurs again and again that the answer for humanity is not to all try and be better, it's you need to die, man. And the only mechanism by which we can have that um, safely and be resurrected is the baptism in the Holy Ghost, the dipping in God the Spirit. And there's only one being in the universe, authorized, or able to do that Jesus he it is who baptizes in the Holy Ghost but as the Greeks came knocking on the door as it was clear his ministry among the Jews was at an end and that they were about to murder him all these things come into focus for Jesus and he uh, begins to think about the means by which he's going to be glorified what he's got to go through to be elevated to be king of all the world and minister to the Gentiles <clears throat> verse 26 
if anyone serves me, if you love your life, you'll lose it to be fine. If you hate your life in this world, that's it. Lord, I don't, I don't want to hang on to it anymore. I don't care what it costs. I lay it aside. I don't want it anymore. I don't want to be in charge anymore. Will you be God to me? Will you take over? Yeah. Um, and that, by the way, is not just your decision. That is a ministry of the Holy Ghost. It's called conviction of sin. And you can't do it for yourself. You have an obligation to respond as God touches you. I have an obligation to respond as the Lord touches me. But I can't do it for myself. Um, so, uh, hallelujah. Um, oh Lord, Lord Grant, um, men and women in our generation that see his ways and live in them and so can be lights to the world say well brother this is the light your humanity is never going to be what it should be until you bow the knee there's going to come a day when every tongue every knee shall bow and every tongue confess verse 26 if anyone serves me oh yes I want to be a Christian I want to be a Christian okay if anyone serves me they're going to do what I do what? Yep. They must follow me. Where I am, my servants will be too. We're going to live with him, in him, on the earth. We'll come, have more of that, chapters 14, 15, 16. If any man serves me, they must follow me where I am. My servant will be too. If anyone serves me, the Father will honour him. It's all about the Father. We just got to live on another level and seek the honour of the Father. Now is my heart troubled, Jesus went on. What am I going to say? Father, save me from this moment. So he really didn't know what to say. He wasn't, he normally knew what to pray. Now is my heart troubled. Now is my soul, sorry, troubled. He says heart. Troubled, oh God, what I got to go through. What am I going to say? Rhetoric. Father, save me from this hour? No way. That's what I came here for. Incidentally, not incidentally, precisely, that's what you and I came here for. Our destiny is not to have our souls and invest them in ourselves. Our destiny was always supposed to be to have our souls and yield to the Father, give Him back the life we owe. Verse 27. What am I going to say? Father, save me from this moment? No. It was because of this that I came to this moment. Father, glorify your name. He's been glorifying it. Look, the Father's glorified when we obey Him. When we perceive Him and when we obey Him. What Jesus had done all the way through. And we'll just read this and the voice thundered. I have glorified it, came a voice from heaven. And I will glorify it again. Three times a voice from heaven, each at a time of particular sacrifice of Jesus. When he yielded himself at the baptism, the voice from heaven. 
at the transfiguration, the voice from heaven. Some people heard it as thunder, others had a bit more spiritual nous and could discern the voice of God in it. Um, shall we read that? I have glorified it, came a voice from heaven, and I will glorify it again. He glorified his name, the Father, in Jesus' life. He had received glory from Jesus' obedience, from the signs that he did, from the public witness he bore, from the fact that there was a proper man upon the earth who lived to please the Father. I do always those things which please the Father. That is the glory of God. That human beings, men and women, in this case it was Jesus only then, now it's Jesus first and you and me in succession live to do his will to please him, I do always those things which please the Father I have glorified and I will glorify it again, he was going to raise up the Son, he is about to he is about to then raise up the Son to the right hand, his right hand, to the throne from where he's going to rule um and we're going to finish this verse without speaking much about it. I have... That was a thunder, verse 29, said the crowd standing there listening. No, said others. It was an angel talking to him. That voice came not for your sake. Sorry, that voice came for your sake, not mine, replied Jesus. And we'll go on, if the Lord is willing for it to be another time to the judgment of the world and the judgment of Israel but enough um, how does that square with your inner understanding of what it is to be human